0: Perhaps the most controversial topic of discussion in our day revolves around truth. Opinions often blur the lines of an objective truth. Streaming platforms, social media, and other public forums allow individuals to project their truths upon the masses like never before.
1: In the midst of woke, cancel culture, religious freedoms, political liberties, and social injustice, we attempt to search for and reveal the truth. This is Truth Truth Revival. Revival.
0: And we're back This is another episode of Truth Revival Season 2 Episode 44 Got a full house in here today First of all we got uh, my man Mr. Nationwide over here Paul how are you? Got my steel
1: toe boots on, Craig. Self steel toe. It's time. You ready to walk hard? Oh, I'm gonna walk softly on this one. This one hits close to home. right? This is gonna be a good episode,
0: <laughs> folks. You don't want to miss this one, okay? And also, we've got two men in orange. Okay, they're UT fans. We first of all, we got Mr. Mike Nelson. Mike, how are you?
2: I'm fantastic. I'm such so excited to be here again with you. Uh, I love Roman Hamilton and uh, and Paul and this church and what they're doing. So. Anytime I get to come spend an afternoon with with somebody uh, as faithful and as and loves the Lord as much as these guys do, it's a good day. Amen. It's a good day.
0: I did not pay him to say that, but <laughs> thank you for that, Mike. I <laughs> slipped him twenty at
2: the bakery. You did. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: now, Mike, real quick, how long have you been a UT fan?
2: Oh, my whole life, really. Yeah, I've always rooted for the UT Vols and the Dallas Cowboys. Those those are my two teams. Oh, Darby, man. And, and, I, and believe me, I've been through the ups and the downs of a UT fan. Oh. oh, believe me, I am. I've been crucified as a UT fan, and I am so excited that we are now headed back in the right direction. Oh. We got to take care of business tonight, That's but I'm right. excited.
0: That's right. All right, well, cool. And uh, we'll go ahead and meet our other guest, uh, Mr. Darby Fraze. How are you, Darby? I'm doing
3: great. Glad to be here.
0: Darby's a regular on the podcast. We love having him. So uh, today's topic, Darby, would you like to introduce the topic? Um, sure. And and just kind of just share that text that um, that you sent to me. And, I mean, guys, this is going to be one. This is a roundtable-type discussion. So uh, after Darby, whenever he's finished, any of you guys, just just jump in, share your thoughts. Um, this is going to be a good one. So, Darby, just go ahead. Well,
3: I think that this is uh, one of those things we started off uh, in, in class. You know, we have a bunch of different topics that come up, and and uh, this one really hits close to home to me, just like it does Paul. Uh, I think to a lot of Christians, to be honest, uh, divorce and remarriage. And uh, when I was at work, I you know, thought, well, I want to text Roman and... And see what he has to say about it. See if maybe you and Paul could uh, have a discussion about it. Well, then he asked me to come too. But th- this is something that's really dear to me. And I want to know more. Um, I think it's a, a very misunderstood thing. I want. I'm, I'm very curious to see what everybody has to say about this because divorce and remarriage is a big topic,
0: right? Mm. And can a man minister if he's been divorced?
3: So what jobs can he have? What
0: jobs can he have? How can he serve faithfully in the church? Can he pastor? Can he still preach? You know, so so we're looking for some some guidance on that. And uh Paul, let's just start with you. Let's just get your thoughts real quickly. You don't have to, you know, go deep <clears throat> on it, but just you know, what's on the surface here? What are you thinking originally?
1: I can't really get into it without going deep, to be honest with you. I mean Amen. um it is what it is, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I've, uh, I've been married before and, uh, it, it didn't work out. And I, I remember during that time frame when, when it went, when it went south and everything was going, going awry, I was steady pursuing the father. I was, I was singing Christian music. I was traveling. I was trying to minister and trying to do the right thing when it all kind of just went sour and. I remember in those moments thinking, God, man, I'll never be able to preach again. Nobody will ever ask me to come. Nobody will ever ask me to share. And I was like, my ministry's over. Yeah. It's what I thought, you know, in my mind. Because, I mean, you hear it. You hear it over and over and over again growing up, especially here where we live, that, you know, if you're divorced, you can't be this, you can't do that. You can't. It, it, and I was just like, it's over. And then I got to studying the word a little bit. And he gives you some exceptions. And I fell into one of those exceptions, and I was like, thank you for being faithful because you know my heart.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, I I get it that there's, there's places where you can't do certain things, but he also makes a way of escape. His word says he'll make a way of escape for you. So uh, I know in Matthew it talks about, uh, I'm just going to read it here. It says, uh, in Matthew five thirty one, thirty two, 31, um, Matthew, of course, she's saying, "Is also said, whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of pornea, which is sexual immorality, makes her an adulteress, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I thought, well, thank God I'm free. Here we go. But there's also places in Exodus 21 where it talks about if the husband abuses the wife, she's free to go. Uh, Mm -hmm. if he doesn't take care of her the way he's supposed to, the way it's ordained for a man to take care of a woman, she's free to go. And there's other instances where it's, you just get in the human, human part of it and you get stupid and you believe the lie of the enemy and you forsake what God's put together and it's over. And I think the biggest trouble in our, and, and we can go on from here. The biggest trouble in our society is we approach marriage from a humanistic view. We don't approach it from a holy view. You burned my biscuits. I'm leaving you. Yeah, It's over. Right, and I think uh, we don't put uh, the sacredness of marriage where it's supposed to be, and we don't put the father where he's supposed to be in our lives. Therefore, it never works out. And what does he say? Whatever God has joined together, now a lot of these people get married, and God don't join them together. They get together because they lusten over one another, Absolutely. or it works out for them to pay the rent or their car payments or whatever. But if you're led by the father and you're put together, says what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Mm. So uh, where are we with the Lord? Where's our walk? And why are we getting divorced? And why is the divorce rate so high? I'm going to answer it for you. And then we're going to go on. We're not living for Jesus the way we should. Absolutely. Wow.
3: Mike,
0: and I know once we open Pandora's box with you, it's going to be hard to shut that thing. (laughs)
1: Let's go. Why would you
2: (laughs) want to shut that?
1: (laughs) Here
2: we go. um, Roman, this is a very important topic to me because this was one of the very first things I had to get grasps of, okay? Um, Because I came to Christ through a divorce, okay? And when Christ saved me, he also called me into the ministry at the same time. And, of course, I didn't want to do anything uh, contrary to the Word of God. I didn't want to do anything that would bring shame or disgrace upon my Savior, uh, so the very first thing I had to get a hold of was, what am I allowed to do? What am I qualified to do? What can I do? Mm-hmm. What does the Bible say about this? I didn't. I didn't care what man said. Okay, I want to know God. What do you say about this? So I began to study this issue, and I have and and I studied it hard. And it was the very first thing that I really put a lot of energy into because it was going to define my ministry right. from that point forward. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate Mm. about this because I believe that, um, many Christians, especially in the Baptist community, we, we hurt our wounded. Mm. We don't treat our wounded very kindly and with grace. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes as, as a military term, you know, we eat our young and it's not good. You know, it's funny,
1: Mike, you said that because when I went through what I went through, the secular people that I knew treated me better and loved on me more than the church. The church condemned me. The church crucified me. Mm-hmm. Man, they they were they were pretty flipping rough on me. And I'll be honest with you, it soured me for a moment.
0: Mike, didn't you kind of usually call it the scarlet letter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, once you once somebody gets divorced, that it just kind of haunts them and follows them. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Anyway, I didn't mean we didn't mean, but continue.
2: Well, you know, there's 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 different ways we can approach this topic because it is so, so vast. I think one way is to first just look at what does God say about divorce in general? And then once you understand what that is, then we can, I think, move to the next question, which is, okay, now that we understand what God says about divorce in general, how does that apply to a minister? Or how does that apply to somebody that is being called by God to serve in a church or whatever? What does the Bible say about that? But first I think we need to understand God's position on divorce in general before we get into that detail about you know a minister and what a minister can and can't do. It would be my recommendation, but just just a recommendation. Yeah. If you're prepared, if you're ready. You, are you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'll be glad to, Let's I'd go. be honored to. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, of course you've quoted the main verses that that uh, uh that we need to look at in Matthew 5:31-32. But um Let's start off in Matthew in Malachi two sixteen. Okay, the Bible says, "For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that He hateth putting away." So, and that that phrase "putting away" means to divorce, right? So, the Bible clearly says that God hates divorce. Yes. Now, that's pretty strong language, okay, for God to hate something. And we've got to, I think we got—I think—we need to ask, why does God hate divorce? Well, I would tell you three reasons why God hates divorce. Number one, God hates divorce because of the pain and suffering it causes between the couple. Mm. If you've ever experienced a divorce, you, there's no other pain like that. The betrayal, the breaking of trust, the everything you ever worked for being just torn apart. The pain associated with that is unbearable. It, it's, it, it's horrible. It's horrible. And God doesn't want us to go through that pain. He doesn't want us to experience that pain because right. it's soul ties. Oh
1: yeah. I mean, honestly, people don't understand that being being together. Uh, Mark talks about we we're one, you know. One. And when you become one, we we have soul ties, man. And you rip that apart. Well, and That's readily. even it's from the awful. Garden
0: of Eden. to become one flesh. Yes. You know, and and also Mike, you know, you, you talk about the putting away in Deuteronomy. I think it's called sin away. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty four, the the law of Moses, and but anyway, continue yeah. on.
2: Yeah. So he doesn't want, because God is a, a merciful, gracious, loving God, he doesn't want us to experience that pain and that hurt. Right. Uh, the second reason I think God hates divorce is because of the pain, suffering, and problems that causes the children. Mm. Okay? He doesn't want children to experience that. Now, let me give you just a few stats. Now, these are a little bit old. They're about 10 years old, okay? But I don't believe they've gotten any better. They've probably only gotten worse. Okay? Okay. Uh, studies have been done of children that are that are been you know in a divorce home. Many believe it is their fault. So they blame themselves for their parents' parents divorce. 63% of those children show signs of depression. 43% become more aggressive, angry and aggressive. Okay? 56% have drops in grades in school. It affects their school and their ability mm. to focus. They're two times more likely to drop out of school before graduating high school. They're three times more likely to be pregnant as teens. Mm. Okay. They're six times more likely to grow up in poverty. They're 12 times more likely to be imprisoned. Uh, according to the Texas Corrections back 10 years ago, 85% of youth in detention came from a fatherless home. Wow. Okay. 30% more likely to abuse substances like alcohol and drugs. And 75% of teen suicides occur in single parent homes. Okay? Staggering. God does not want children to experience the pain and suffering caused by their parents being going through a divorce. That's why he hates it. But also most importantly, even though God doesn't want us to experience that pain, he doesn't want our children to experience that pain. Most importantly, I believe God hates divorce because it it brings dishonor to God. That's the main reason. Mm-hmm. When you read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, and Paul's laying out the roles and responsibilities of the husband and the wife, right? Remember, that's a powerful passage on defining the roles and responsibilities in a husband and a wife. But at the end, he tells you, look, I'm using this as an illustration. I'm really talking about Christ and the church, Christ and his relationship with the church. So marriage is a physical representation of Christ's spiritual relationship with his church. That's true. Okay. So when we do marriage right, we're reflecting the correct spiritual mirror of Christ's relationship with his church, and that brings him honor. When we do marriage wrongly, okay, we're marring that Mm. image and bringing him dishonor. Okay. So the main reason God hates divorce is because it brings him dishonor. Mm. It reflects poorly upon that relationship of Christ and his church. Okay. So we need to understand, first of all, God hates divorce. There's no question about that. Um, And and I would tell you that all divorce results from sin, Mm -hmm. all divorce. As you said, Paul, all divorce relates from sin. The best definition I've ever heard from divorce, I wish I could have said I came up with this, but I I don't remember who (laughs) said it, but I wrote it down, okay? The best definition I've ever heard, divorce is Satan's alternative for a man and a woman who refuse to get right with God. Ooh, that is good. That's what divorce is. It's Satan's alternative for a man and a woman who refuse to get right with God. So we need to understand that God hates divorce because it brings dishonor upon him and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's also Satan's tool, okay, to use against us when we refuse to get right with God. But we also need to understand that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Okay, mm-hmm. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin.
3: We treat it like it
2: is. We treat it like it is, Yeah, but we know it's not. You say, well, Mike, how do you know that? Well, when you read the fourth chapter of the book of John, Jesus Christ goes out of His way to go into a country that normal Jews would not even f- step foot in to have a divine encounter with a woman at a well in the middle of the day. Y'all remember the story of the Samarica Samaritan woman? Yep. Now, w- what did Jesus tell this woman? She had had how many husbands? Five. Five. And she was currently living with a man who wasn't her husband. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Now, why was she coming to the well in the middle of the day when nobody else would be there? All the ridicule from the people. Because of her lifestyle, because of her past, because of her history. But yet Jesus went out of his way to make a special trip to her to offer her what? Living water. Amen? (laughs) To give her the solution to her problem. She'd been seeking for love in all the wrong places, right? (laughs) Okay? She was trying to fill that hole in her heart that God gives every human being when he creates them, that hole that only he can fill. She was trying to fill that hole with relationships, yep. and it didn't work, right? But when she met Jesus, the seventh man in her life, she left completely full and complete. Mm-hmm. Amen?
1: Mm-hmm. Seven, okay? that number, completion. <laughs> yeah, completion. <laughs> okay.
2: So now what are the odds that all five of her previous husbands Had died. She's either the first black widow of the Bible, okay, or we can be pretty safe to assume that not all five of her husbands had had died.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because you know the Bible talks about marriage, and I was thinking about you know because we talk till death do us part. Well, that's a biblical concept. (laughs) Romans chapter seven for a woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from yep. the law of marriage, Matthew nineteen 6. uh They're no longer two flesh, but one. What God is joined together, let no man separate or put asunder. Um, you know, then the Bible talks about from the beginning that God created the male and female and that a man would leave his father and his mother and uh, and be cleaving to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so, like, is it um, the, the county clerk that marries us? You know, I've had to sign a lot of marriage papers. Are we married because we perform some ceremony? Are we married because, you know, we, uh, we sign a paper or we, we make it legal with our, you know, what, what constitutes marriage? Well, the Bible talks about it being when you know somebody, when you have intimacy, when you have sexual relations with somebody. Um, and that is sex is safe as long as it's within the confines of marriage.
2: But not only safe, brother, but it is a precious gift from God, and it, right? To and be it, enjoyed frequently, okay? Because it draws you together with your spouse. So yeah, yeah. it's not just safe. It, it is a beautiful, and bring, it brings God, gracious honor, gift from God, as Correct. you said
0: earlier, Mike. When done, when done properly, right? Um, when sex is done outside of marriage, it's fornication. It's adultery. You know, the lasciviousness, there's these, it's been perverted in our culture since the beginning of time. Let's not, there's no new thing under the sun as, as Solomon said, but what breaks, uh, divorce, um, and it's, it's usually death. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What breaks marriage dissolves marriage is, is death right in the eyes of
2: God. Well, there's two causes in the Bible where God gives you permission to divorce, okay? There's two reasons. Now, divorce is just a natural result that once once your spouse dies, then you can't remarry. There's only one stipulation. Paul says you must remarry another believer, okay? Mm-hmm. So you can remarry, you're free to remarry if your spouse dies, but you must you must marry another believer because mm-hmm. unbelievers are not to be unequally yoked together, right? So. So you're free that's to that's very
3: important, too, right there. Right. A, lo- a lot of us don't look at that. We just look at what Paul was saying before. Is I don't think a lot of us uh, counsel God before marriage. I know, I hate to admit this, but I didn't. Whenever I got married, I just thought I loved my wife, and I thought that that was the one, and I didn't ask God's opinion about it. Right. I, I didn't get any counseling about it and say, go to my pastor and say, hey, what do you think about this, or what should I be looking for? to? I just... Do I wanted to marry her? Right. And that's, that's the only uh, counsel I got was me. <laughs> and I think that that's where a lot of our divorces happen is what, what you said earlier, but what God puts together, no man tear apart or put asunder. What, what did that say? Let, um, what God put together.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I didn't put my marriage together. I mean, I put my marriage together. I don't necessarily believe god did because i didn't counsel him about it i didn't ask his opinion your first marriage is that what you're getting at my only marriage Oh yeah. you know yeah um i didn't ask god about it so i think that that's where you know that was my number one and my biggest mistake is i didn't talk to god about it at all
0: mike we've also we talked about this you know you was talking about we talked about it at the uh at the bakery there about sexual relations and and knowing man or knowing you know man and woman knowing each other having having sex and intimacy um and and did we conclude that like wh- like when, when a person comes together like in essence you're you're giving yourself to that other person right it,
2: right in the eyes of god marriage happens when two flesh becomes one period that's why paul says we are to abstain from all sexual relations until we're married yes okay and so because of that that spiritual truth that when, that's why Paul talks about why do you join your body to a harlot? Do you not know that two flesh become one in mm-hmm. in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? So yes, uh, which is one of the, the, the strange things we can talk about later on is that, you know, if you're going to hold divorce as a criteria for judging someone's service in ministry, you also need to judge chastity. Was that person chaste before they were married? If they ever had sexual relations with anybody other than their wife, they've got more than one wife in the eyes of God, okay? And if the woman they're marrying ever had relations with anyone else, number one, he should never not even be marrying that person because she's already married to somebody else because she had relations with somebody else. So if we're going to hold that divorce standard, then we also need to apply the chastity standard, but nobody ever wants to go down that road. Nobody wants to talk about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, because okay? I'm sitting here thinking now, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to get super messy. Um, but in, in Luke chapter 16 and uh, and also in, in Mark chapter 10, li- listen to this. Jesus said, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. Yeah.
2: Now you got to understand anybody who divorces his wife without a biblical cause, oh, right? Right, We're, yeah. we haven't we
0: haven't got there. Yeah, yet. you
2: got to insert that there's an implied understanding there that if you have a biblical cause to divorce your wife, then God frees you from that covenant, right? Yeah.
0: And, we, and, and we had talked about before. It's just as of right now, death that that frees us. I know you're going to give us those two causes. A minute we haven't got there yet, but but what I'm saying is, you know, some people just think that well I've got divorced and and so now I'm free again. But in the eyes of God, just, just because you signed a paper and then the marriage got annulled or you got divorced, you know, in the eyes of a, a you know a, a judge or whatever, in the eyes of God, it's not, it's still not resolved. You know, you you're still in that causing adultery, which is is living in sin,
2: and in our culture, we just we just uh, disregard it. But. What's what's the verse say? Let not man put asunder. Man does not have permission to release you from the marriage covenant because the marriage covenant is not owned by man. The marriage covenant is owned by God. He created it. He owns it. So See, so the first, the, I mean,
0: death frees us, number one, okay? You're going to give us those other two biblical reasons. Right. All right? You want me to do that now? Yes, yes. Okay.
2: Now, but before I say that, let, let me finish up this conversation about the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman teaches us, that divorce is not an unpardonable sin. And it is forgiven like all other sins are forgiven at the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's not a sin you've ever committed in your life that's not covered by the blood of Jesus, okay? I hope everybody that's a true believer in Jesus Christ understands that, okay? That it don't matter if you were a murderer or a rapist or a, a, a thief or a robber or whatever you were, The moment you truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. They are forgiven by God. Now, that doesn't mean you may not face physical consequences for your past sins in this world, Mm. but spiritually you are forgiven by God. You're a child of God. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with God. Amen. Mm. I hope we all can agree on that. Right. And I think it's, it's, that's taught clearly, but. We go back to um, Matthew 5, 31. He says, but it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now, why did Moses say that? Why did Moses command to give a a woman that you have put away a writing of divorcement? Well, you got to understand what was going on at the time. Men were divorcing their wives for any reason. Oh, my wife don't cook good enough. Bye. My wife don't clean my house good enough. Get out of here. Yeah. Okay. My wife doesn't give me enough sex. Go. I'm going to go find me another wife. They were divorcing their wives for just any cause. That's why I asked the question, can, can a man divorce a woman for any cause? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what would happen when a man would divorce a woman without a biblical cause? She w- w- Without a bill of divorcement, she would be left with nothing to do. Right. She couldn't remarry. She had no way to support herself. And to protect the woman, God told Moses to give them a a written bill of divorcement. That gave her legal rights to go remarry Mm -hmm. so she would have some form of support to take care of herself. So God did that as a way to protect women from being arbitrarily kicked out of their home and their marriage without a biblical cause. It was to protect the women. It wasn't to condone divorce or to give the men an easy way out. It was God graciously taking care of these women yeah. who otherwise would have no way to take care of themselves. Okay, but but God but then God reiterates that's not what His plan was. Right, His plan was for what what's been joined together, man can't put asunder. Mm-hmm. Only I can release you from that because I'm the one that owns the marriage covenant. So what was God's plan? God's plan from the very beginning was for a believing man to unite with a believing woman in holy matrimony Mm -hmm. and for those people to stay married until death separates them. That's God's plan. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that from the beginning too. This is God's vision. God's plan was for every child that's born in this world to come into this world Mm -hmm. from the union of a believing man united to a believing woman in holy matrimony, okay? And they stay that way till death separates them. Yeah, even Solomon
1: said honor the wife of your youth. Mm-hmm. You know, love her, cherish her. It's a it, it's a beautiful thing.
2: But now we come to verse 32. In Matthew 5:32, what's it say? But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away, that means divorce his wife, saving for the cause of fornication. So, here's the reason, a reason that God says you can divorce your wife or your spouse, as the case may be, is for fornication. Now we got to understand this word has two meanings. It's the Greek word pornia that we get our word pornography and, and, and from, but it has two meanings. There's a physical aspect of it, and there's a spiritual aspect of it. So there's physical fornication, and there's spiritual fornication, according to God's word. Okay. So, what is physical fornication? I think we all know what physical fornication is. Mm -hmm. That's when your spouse is is guilty of having sexual relations with someone other than you. Whether it's a woman-woman or man-man or if it's heterosexual, it doesn't matter. If they have sexual relations with anyone other than their spouse, they've committed physical fornication. Mm -hmm. Okay? And Jesus says physical fornication is a biblical cause for divorce. Now, is it a mandate for divorce? If my wife was to cheat on me, does that mean I have to divorce her? No. No. Do I have God's permission to divorce her? Yes. But would God prefer me to try to reconcile my marriage and save my marriage? Yes, he would. Absolutely. How do I know that? I know that from the book of Hosea, right? The (laughs) book of Hosea teaches that. Okay, Gomer and Jose. I don't know why yeah. you'd marry a woman named Gomer, but <laughs> but I guess then that was an okay name for a woman. She,
0: she must have been a looker. She know? must have been man. She uh, must have been beautiful.
2: Whew. You'd yeah. have to to get over that name. He was full, he
1: was full of the father. Yeah, he I had to, be to
2: put up with it. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, that is a uh, that's a biblical lesson that teaches us that God would prefer us to be able to reconcile. But remember, He took Gomer back under what conditions? that from that day forward, she was faithful to him and only him, right? She wasn't allowed to continue to play the harlot. Mm. She had to repent of that sin and truly be faithful to her husband from that day forward. And, and if your spouse commits adultery on you, and she or he or she truly repents, truly repents and does works meet for repentance, God would prefer you to be able to forgive that spouse reconcile your marriage and keep your marriage together. It's true. Okay. that I, I believe that with all my heart. But if that spouse refuses to repent, God does not suffer us to have to stay married to an unfaithful spouse. And he gives us his permission. And that's key because the only one that can release me from my marriage covenant is God. Right? He's the only one that he owns the covenant. He created marriage. He owns it. So, he's the one that sets the rules. He's the only one that can release me from it. So, and he says, I release you from that if your spouse has been unfaithful to you, okay? So, that's physical fornication. I think we all understand that. But the one that we don't understand very well is spiritual fornication. And Paul talks about this. um, Now, what is spiritual fornication? Spiritual fornication is forsaking God in order to worship idols, Okay, and since God is said to be married to his church through Christ, any adultery is unfaithfulness toward God equal to sexual unfaithfulness in one's marriage partner. Okay, so now an idol can be anything that we love or pursue in place of God. Okay, so. Um, and, and again, you look at the book of Hosea because it's an allegory of of Israel's spiritual unfaithfulness. Hey, Mike, I, I hate to interrupt you. Would you uh, do the uh,
3: the idol thing again? Because I don't think a lot of people get confused on what an idol is. Would you read that part again? Sure. An idol is something we love or pursue in place of God. I just wanted to make sure that that's clear because I think a lot of times when we think of idols, is the, the golden calf or some bronze e- statue. Yeah, some statue. Anything, it, yeah. It's, it's not just like what you said. It's yeah. It's just some statue over here. But that's not what an idol is, you know. No.
0: It could be a sports team. Oh, yes. It can be a hobby.
2: Yes. It work. Can, it, can it can be food. your work. It can be work, you know. Booze, alcohol. Right. Hamburgers. Sexual sexual relationships. It can be anything. That you put before the Lord. And you seek your pleasure and your satisfaction in that instead of in God.
0: Oh, Lord. That's
2: your idol, okay? Yeah.
0: And, and you, you know, you saying that, Mike, and... It just feels like I've committed fornication, you know, a lot of times. And Jesus even said, you know, you've heard it said that if, you know, uh, if you commit a woman, if you commit adultery with a woman, you know, you, you you commit adultery or fornication with a woman, you commit adultery. But I say, whoever looks upon a woman with lust in his heart
1: Ooh, has committed
0: that. adultery already. And so it's like, man, you know, if we're not careful legalism will destroy, because none are righteous, no, not one. Right. There's none that are holy or right, or that can even really meet these standards. And um, But we're, we want to try to get, go through them nonetheless, right. because I think it's important for people to realize that your marriage is important. It's of God. It's an institution of God, and that you're not just simply released from divorce, or released from the marriage just because... You want out. The best thing would be to do would be first make ensure that you're not unequally yoked, honor God with your marriage. But if you have an unrepentant spouse, as Mike says, if she's he or she is living in fornication, living in sin, living in adultery, God prefers you to be reconciled,
2: but you may be free of your marriage. What's the second one, Mike? Well, we're fixing to get to that, and we're talking about It's called spiritual fornication. Okay. And this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay. Uh, Spiritual fornication is, uh, the way Paul describes it in chapter 7 is, you have a believer who is married to an unbeliever. Maybe, probably the situation was they both were unbelievers when they got married. Okay. And one has come to faith in Christ. So, now one is a believer. I would hope that it wasn't you were already a believer because now you're violating 1 Corinthians 6.14. that says you're not supposed to be unequally yoked together Mm -hmm. in the first place, right? But I've seen that happen many, many times in my ministry, and I've counseled against it. And they go, oh, but I love this person. They make me so happy. And six months later, they're back in my office crying their eyes out, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, the situation is you have a believer married to an unbeliever. And because of your faith, that unbeliever wants to leave, wants nothing to do with you wants to depart. Paul says, let them depart. You're not under bondage anymore. Okay. Now, but if that unbeliever chooses to remain with you, then let them remain because your goal should be to try to win that person to Christ so that they become a Christian too. Right. And the longer they stay in that Christian home with you under the influence of, of the Christian teaching and lifestyle that should be going on in that home, they have an opportunity to come to faith in Christ and become that Christian that that God wants them to be, right? So if that unbeliever chooses to stay, Paul says, let them stay, okay? Uh, And hopefully they're going to come to Christ one day, and your marriage will be truly what God wants it to be. But if that unbeliever chooses to leave, he says, let them leave. Now, why would Paul say that? That's the question, okay? Okay. Why would Paul issue this command? And, and he makes a statement, by the way, um, in, in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians uh, 7, he says, first he talks about divorce traditionally, i.e., um, the, the um, you know, the first cause or fornication, you know. But but then he says, the rest speak I, not the Lord. So when Paul talks about this concept of spiritual fornication, he says, look, this is coming from me as an apostle of Christ. He said, I haven't heard a direct message from God here, but I believe because of my position in Christ and what he's called me to do, I am free to tell you what I'm fixing to say, okay? Right. And he lays this out. Now, why would Paul do that? Now, this is going to be a little controversy. You like a little controversy on your podcast? We want the truth, right? Okay, That's what truth Revival is all about. What was Paul? Paul was a member of... He was a Pharisee and a Jew among Jews, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible also tells us he was a member of the Sanhedrin, right? Member of the Jewish council. Zealous. Zealous. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Mm-hmm. Tradition holds that to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be not only married, but you had to have a child. Okay? That was the tradition of the day. So if that tradition is true, that means Paul was married and probably had children, Okay? But yet when he writes later in the epistles he talks about not being married anymore. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well remember when Paul on the road to Damascus who did he meet? Jesus. He met Jesus and had a life altering life changing encounter with the risen savior. Amen. Yeah. Okay, and he became radically saved. He left Tarsus his home Saul, the Jewish Pharisee Sanhedrin member who was out persecuting Christians and throwing them in jail and and having them stoned to death, right? He went back to Tarsus what? A born again, true believer and follower of Jesus Christ. What did he go home to? He went home to a home where his father was a Pharisee. Okay, where he was a member of the Jewish community, an important member of the Jewish community, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. His wife would have been a Jew too, a Jew among Jews. Okay, He went back a totally different person, a born-again, true believer in Christ. I believe his wife wanted nothing to do with that. Wow. She said, "Uh, uh-uh, you want me to do what? You want me to leave my faith? You want me to walk away from everything I've ever known my whole life and follow some carpenter named Jesus? Is that what you want me to do? Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? This is the same guy you went out thought, to arrest people and throw them in jail. Yeah. Now you want me to give up everything and follow this Jesus guy? Mm. Are you crazy? Really?
1: Mm.
2: And I think Paul's wife choose to leave him. And Paul is giving you personal testimony. He's telling you, how do I know this is true? I haven't heard directly from the Lord, but because of my own personal life and what's happened in my life, because my wife left me after I became a Christian, but yet God still called me into ministry and is using me as the apostle to the Gentiles, I believe what I'm telling you is absolutely truth. Mm. But what Paul didn't understand is that Jesus did talk about it. He just didn't have that scripture in front of him. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 29. Jesus said, and everyone that hath forsaken, that word hath forsaken is the same Greek verb used for divorce. Mm-hmm. He says, everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or what? Wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life okay that's pretty powerful the words have forsaken in in this verse and the words put her away and leave him in 1st corinthians chapter 7 are all forms of the same greek word which means to dismiss to dismiss to put forth away or to let go from one's further notice So why would God use this as a cause? Think about this. If you're you're a believer, if you've become a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, and your unbelieving spouse wants nothing to do with your faith, okay? You now got a choice to make, don't you? Yeah. What's your choice? You're going to please God or please your spouse? Because if you stay faithful to God and you get involved in church and you start doing all the things God wants you to do, your spouse is going to leave you yeah. because your spouse has said, I want nothing to do with this Jesus person. I don't want to spend all my time in church. Okay. I want things back the way they were. I want us to go out and party on the weekends and have a good time and, and have things the way they were. I don't want to be a Jesus follower. And if you're going to try to force me to be a Jesus follower or make me live in that air in that environment, I'm out of here.
1: Yeah. That was like Doug, the guy we had here a couple of weeks ago when he got born again,
2: his wife didn't want nothing to do with it. So you have a choice to make at that point. Either you can back up and basically kind of turn your back on God and try to save your marriage. Or you can say, honey, you know, I don't want you to leave me. I don't want our marriage to end. But my relationship with Jesus is more important than my relationship with you. And if you're going to make me choose between you and Jesus, I choose, I choose Jesus. Amen? Yeah. And he did. And I've told my wife, I've I've told people the same thing. If my wife ever came to me and said, You're going to choose, is it Jesus or me? There's no choice. I'm choosing Jesus. Amen? And you say, Well, Mike, do you have any biblical any scripture to support this? Well, yes, I do. Go to Ezra chapter 9. What does God do in the book of Ezra? What had happened? Remember, Cyrus issued his decree to let the Jews go back to to Israel to rebuild the temple, Roman. I know you, you're familiar with this, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Jews went back, 50,000 Jews under the leadership of Zerubbabel had gone back to, to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And guess what they did? They had married foreign wives. Intermarriage. In, in direct violation of God's word, they married foreign women. Yep. And what did those foreign unbelievers And what did those unbelievers do? They were pulling those men away from God. Mm -hmm. What did God tell the prophet Isaiah to do? He said, remember, how did we start this podcast? How does God feel about divorce? He hates it. He hates it, right? But what did God tell those men to do? Through the prophet Isaiah. He said, I want you to divorce those women, send them back to their homes, and... Their, with their children, separate yourself from them and the children that you produced from those marriages and send them back, okay? Why would God command these Israelites to divorce these women when the Bible says God hates divorce? Pull pulling away from God. Because our relationship with God is more important than our relationship with anyone or anything else on this planet. It's true. Okay. And if it's going to come down to your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with God, what does God want you to choose? Him. Him. Okay? So you have this thing called spiritual fornication. Now, you got to understand this only, only applies in a situation where you have a believer married to an unbeliever. Okay? And that unbeliever has to choose to depart on their own. You can't drive them out. You can't force them out. You can't. You know, actually, you're supposed to be trying to win that unbeliever to Christ and show Christ-like mm-hmm. love and mercy, yeah. right? So you're, you're you're supposed to be trying to win that unbeliever to Christ. But if that unbeliever chooses on their own accord to leave you, then God says, your relationship with me is more important. Let that person go. Yeah. God has called us into peace. Is that what you're saying? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. That's what it
1: says in Corinthians in, in that chapter 7. Yeah. The last part of that says, God calls us to live in peace. So
0: I hope that we've done a, um, Mike has done a pretty good job and an amazing job laying the groundwork for divorce. Now, we're probably going to have to do a part two. You know, I want to continue on, obviously. Um, But that this will be part one, and I'll edit all this out. So does does anybody else have any more questions or comments, Mike, or do you want to keep going on that?
2: Well, the, the, there's, yeah, let, let me, I think we need to kind of logically take it to a conclusion to help people understand if they've been divorced, what they need to do, okay? okay? Because I want to just leave it with, here's the doctrine, okay? Because that doesn't help people that are in that situation, right? Um, but so so what is God's bottom line about divorce, in my opinion, the Bible, what the Bible teaches, God's bottom line about divorce is don't let yourself be the cause of your divorce. That's God's bottom line. In other words, I'm not going to be the one that's ever guilty of physical fornication. I'm not going to be the one that gives my wife a biblical cause to divorce me, okay? If I get divorced, it's not going to be because I did something wrong. I can't think for my wife. I can't climb in my wife's head and make her do the right things the only person I can control is me. So what God's bottom line is, Mike, don't you ever do anything to be the cause of your divorce. Mm. Okay. You be the godly person I want you to be. Don't be the one guilty of the physical fornication. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's important for us to, to understand that. Um, now if you're in that situation where you have a an unbeliever married to a believer then you got to make sure that that unbeliever is choosing to leave on their own and you're not forcing or driving them out but you're loving them and trying to to encourage them to to accept the lord also and become that kind of person but what do you do if you have divorced your spouse for some cause other than fornication now i believe for my uh, there's only, those are the only two reasons god gives you permission to break this covenant Physical and spiritual fornication. I've heard people say, well, what about my spouse beats me? If my spouse beats me, should I, is that permission to be divorced? No. The answer is no. Mm. Now it's permission to separate. And that's what I tell people. I say, look, if you've got a spouse that's physically abusing, you separate from them until that person repents and, and, and gets right with God and is willing to treat you the way that you are supposed to be treated. Separate from them, but while you're separated, you're still married, and you must act accordingly and live accordingly. Okay, it doesn't give you freedom to go start dating somebody or or living with somebody else. You're a married person in a state of separation because your spouse is is being abusive to you. I will never tell a woman that she needs to stay in a home with an abusive husband. So, what
1: about in Exodus 21 where it says if he doesn't take care of you and do the things that, that he's supposed to do like provide for you house you and all these things you're free to leave there in Exodus 21.
2: well you might be free to leave but I, I don't believe it says you're free to divorce okay okay uh, again you can you can separate from that person uh, but the Bible Jesus said except for the cause of fornication so he makes it very clear that there's only one reason why God gives you permission to be rele- released from this covenant it's either physical fornication or spiritual fornication. And if one of those two causes don't exist, then God has not released you from from this covenant, unless
1: death occurs.
2: Unless death occurs, of right. course. So, but but you can separate, uh, and because I'm never going to tell a woman to stay in a house where she's being beat up. That's that's right. no way. Get away from that person. Separate from that person. But remember, you're still married. Okay, and and you got to act accordingly. Now, while you're separated, if that spouse that beats on you decides he's going to get a girlfriend and start living with, well, now you have a biblical cause for divorce because he's committing fornication. So now you can be released from your marriage and divorce him, okay? But if you separate, the goal should always be to reconcile as soon as possible. You only want to stay separated the minimum amount of time required for that person to repent, seek help, get counsel. And start living a godly life again, right? So you can re reconcile your marriage. Yeah. You don't want to stay separated for any amount of time longer than necessary. Okay, it's only to protect you and to keep you from from being hurt physically that you're gonna, you know, separate from that person. And you want to reconcile as soon as possible. Okay. In other words, you don't want to use separation to cause your spouse to eventually go cheat on you, so you can then divorce them. You know, the separation is just there to protect you and keep you from being harmed. Until you can come back together again. Okay. But what do you do if you've already if you've been divorced and and you didn't have biblical cause for that divorce? Well, I would say number one, go and reconcile your marriage. The first thing God would want you to do is try to go back and reconcile your marriage. Try to put that marriage back together again, if it's possible. Okay? Or stay unmarried. It's what Paul talks about in yeah, Corinthians. Be a eunuch. Yeah. You stay unmarried. Okay. Now, but what if you've already remarried? Okay. What if, you know, okay, well, I I didn't have a cause and I'm divorced, but I've already remarried. Does God want me to divorce that woman so I can be unmarried? No, I don't believe two sins. I don't believe two wrongs make a right. What God would want you to do is be faithful to that spouse and love her the way or love him the way God calls you to love them. Okay, and here's and, what I would encourage
0: in that regard. You know, Mike. Obviously, you don't want to divorce the one that you're living with to go be re- remarried to that person, but you can still reconcile and find forgiveness mm, sure. and, a, and a resolution for them to say, "Listen, what happened between us? I wish it hadn't happened, but I've decided to follow Jesus. I've repented, and I want you to know that I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for harming you. You know, and and try to mend that." Right. so that you can be free and to to move forward in, in the other direction you know yes. um i don't think that you should still i don't think that you should live remarried in this new happy state and pretend to be right with god and that other person be like they've never came to me and and and, and mended this or right. resolved this you know cuz then i think that would be hypocritical right you know so that's but what i also
2: my, also believe if 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 you've been divorced without a cause and you've remarried. Well, I think you also need to get right with God in the sense that, have you ever confessed that sin to God? Have you ever went to God and said, God, you know, I messed up. I divorced my wife when I didn't have cause to do so. I know that's in violation of your word. Um, I've already remarried, but but I want to ask your forgiveness for that. I want to confess that that was wrong, okay? I want to ask your forgiveness for that. And give me the strength to make sure I don't make that same mistake again. Mm-hmm. That I live in this marriage in a way that brings you glory and honor. And make sure that you've laid that out on the table to God and, and asked for that forgiveness. Okay? Because you did do something wrong. You did do something contrary to the word of God. And you need to deal with God on that and make sure that you've, you know, confessed that and and received the forgiveness for that mistake that you made, you know, before you you remarried. And a lot of people they never do that. They never deal mm-hmm. with God on it. Okay, they just right, enter right into the next marriage, and you know, and they still got this this black cloud hanging mm-hmm. over them. And you know, they need to deal with it. I think that's a, one of the
3: big things right there is talking to God about the situation. Like I said, I know that during my first marriage, that that's not something that I did was even talk to God about it. You know, but I think that what you just said there is afterwards, after I've been divorced and stuff, I have talked to God about that Mm -hmm. whole situation. And I think that that's something we got to do. We can't just put that on a shelf and say, okay, I just don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with it. it, And I'm going to put it over here and just not ever address the situation. I think that, you know, you definitely need to go to God and talk to him about it. Even if it's been years later, you know, I don't think that there's a time gap that says, okay, now you don't have to talk about it. Right. You know, I don't have to go to God. It's been it's been ten years,
1: you know. I don't need to talk to God. It's
0: though. beyond the statute of limitations. Yeah. It's Over, yeah, exactly. God don't have
1: statute of limitations. Yeah, but, you like, know? but like in Darby's case, okay, when Darby was married, he wasn't following Jesus. He hadn't surrendered his heart and life to the Lord.
3: And I was, was say, but I definitely wasn't living for God. Yeah, uh, in any stretch of the imagination, you know.
1: Yeah. So, so does that start over once you repent? Then, like it says in First Timothy, a bishop must be blameless, a husband of one wife. Does that start over after you're born again? If you were married and it went south and then you you gave your heart and life to Jesus? Like in your case. I mean, look you know, listen to this. It says a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, mm-hmm. temperate, sober minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine. Not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. I mean, all these things apply. Mm -hmm. You know, we get hung up on the marriage deal. Uh, You know, we got people that may have been married to one wife, but they're meaner than crap. They're greedy. They don't, they can't teach their way out of a wet paper bag, Right. Right. you know, and these are the people that we're submitting ourselves to, and the Lord said, hey, it, it's it's a big wide spectrum here of what they have to be to be able to incorporate who I am to you. Mm. And, and I think a lot of times in the church, we settle just so we can have a warm body mm. in a position. It was said today at the breakfast table: "You gotta hunt the dogs that'll hunt." <laughs> But here's the deal. The dogs that will hunt have something in them. Mm. They got that dog in them. Yeah, A dog that won't hunt, they ain't got no dog in them. They mm. want you to throw them a treat well, and let uh, them wag their tail.
0: There's that scripture that says, those that have been forgiven much. Loveth much. Love much. You know, and, and, and Paul, usually the people who love the most are the ones who've been forgiven of the most. Whew, God, I was awful.
3: Yeah, you you know, and but I and, think that that's one of the things, too, right here is like. Two, two men in this room have been forgiven of a whole lot. <laughs> Look at the passion that we got. Yeah. You know, that, that's one thing I said to a, a guy in class yesterday. I said, I am so thankful for my background. You know, and I, and I know that whenever people know my background, they're like, you're thankful for that? Well, yeah, it's given me the passion that I've got yeah. to to just live for God. I know what he's forgiven me of. I know how much he loves me. Yeah. Because he has forgiven me of all that. Right. You know, it's crazy. And I wanted to just show that love to other people and say, Hey, listen, if he can forgive me and he's, he's a God of love.
0: So I think Mike's done a fantastic job of, of laying the groundwork. That was probably like a, the introduction (laughs) for what we're going to get ready to go into now. Uh, But divorce in ministry, like if a person has been divorced, what options are available? You know, can they freely serve God as a minister, preacher, pastor, deacon? You know what what opportunities are available to yes. them, and is, is that where we're going now? Mike, I do you feel we, like you
1: wrapped all
2: that up? Yeah, did, are, are you comfortable? Is, did I leave any loose ties that need to be I tied mean, up? I think it was good. <laughs> I, think, I
1: think this next one is 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 the big. The big, big thing for most people, especially in the Baptist Church in the South. Yeah, I think
2: we had to
0: do a little little Mike laid a great foundation there on you know what divorce is. That's gonna do it for part one of the Divorce and Ministry Podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for part two with Mike Nelson and Darby Fraze. If you've enjoyed the episode, be sure to check us out at Truth Revival 37385 on Facebook. For Paul Chapman, I'm Roman Hamilton. We're out of here.